Welcome to the EMT Pro Podcast, where we deliver relevant EMS content from the field in the classroom each month. Episodes of this podcast can get you one full hour of CE through our partner, emt-ce.com, so head over there for more information. I'm your host, Steve Williams, and with me today is Dan and Holly. Guys, welcome back. Say hello. Hello, Steve. Hello. How's everyone doing? Good. Good. We've got a, a really fun episode today. We've got a special guest um, from Danson Photo Art. His name's Daniel Sundahl, and he's got a pretty cool story. I'm excited to chat with him and hear more about it. Yeah, he's got some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very powerful. When you're looking at it, you're like, how was he in my brain? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's some incredible art that we'll link to um, in the show notes and can't can't speak enough about um, what this guy's able to do. And before we get too crazy with it, let's uh, let's get him on the phone. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. We're extremely happy to have you and excited to chat about all sorts of uh different things that you're doing in the EMS field. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So did a little bit of, uh, I guess, research on you. Um, and it sounds like if I have my, my information correct, you're a 20 year firefighter paramedic in Alberta. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. I was a 20, 20 years, uh, full-time paramedic firefighter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I am just about, I'm in the process of retiring. Oh, wow! Transitioning into a, a a new career of being a psychotherapist. Wow! Uh, specializing in trauma for emergency workers is kind of gonna is gonna be my new thing. <laughs> this is so amazing. Yeah, you know, Daniel, we're gonna have a fun chat today. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So I did the. I started doing the artwork as a part of my therapy. I was diagnosed with PTSD in 2014, and at the time, I had a hobby like most firefighters will have other second jobs and mm-hmm. lots of hobbies and stuff they do on their, on their days off. Right. So I was into photography and was getting into that and taking pictures of my dogs and landscapes and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I uh, was to develop PTSD kind of cracked my mind a little bit, went to the, the psychologist and he says, Dan, let's try to purge and process these things that are happening in your head through your photography. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a horrible idea. That's a horrible <laughs> idea. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to think about this stuff. I want you, I came here, give me a pill so this stuff doesn't happen. And then I can just go back to work. That's what I was hoping was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Kind of, that's what I was expecting was going to happen was he's going to do some witchcraft on me and I was going to be fine. Yeah. But, um, he said, no, it doesn't work that way. You're going to have to work at it. And I'm like, oh, this is, that's horrible. Yeah. Anyway, so I did that. He, I, he gave me some instruction. We kind of focused on one particular event and I, uh, staged it. All my artwork is staged. None of it is of actual, they're mm-hmm. based on actual calls. I did them, but they're not actually, I'm not there taking pictures during the call. Sure. Stage it with my peers. I photograph it. And then I digitally draw and paint on top of the photograph. And what happens when I do that is that I'm processing I'm trying to recreate more what I felt from that event versus what I saw. Mm-hmm. I try to make it as accurate as possible, but I'm trying to recreate. And as I'm doing that, I'm using my frontal lobe to yes, you process are. it while inter- interfering with my amygdala, which is usually like, screw, we got to, let's just send the emotional response down and get everything happening. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know all that neuroscience stuff at the time, uh, but my psychologist was right. And when I was done, creating the art piece after about a, it takes about a week. Then that those, those feelings wouldn't, 
wouldn't happen. I would have the memory, but I wouldn't have the emotional response with them. And so he was right. It worked. And so I'm like, great, this is my, this is how I get better. And that's what I did. It was never meant to, to share with people. I never meant to, um, to show other paramedics or firefighters. I never got at first. I never wanted to. Yeah. It's then pretty it's private. 2014. Yeah. It's very private. And the first picture I did, there's a, paramedic in the back of the ambulance with his gloved hands on his head and there's a dead body in the stretcher and there's a ghost there and mm-hmm. I'm like this is too weird people are going to think I'm I share this even with the people that I know even with the people that were in the picture I didn't want to show them because mm. I'm like yeah this is too I don't think they realized this is what I was going to do with it and uh, so I didn't for a long time uh, but I still had this this rolodex of emotions that I had to process so I continued creating the artwork without sharing it Mm-hmm. But it was very therapeutic for me. And then one day I thought, you know, that first picture looks kind of, it looks cartoony, like a visually it's kind of a cool picture. And I thought I would share it uh, just to see what would happen. Totally expecting to be, you know, crucified for showing paramedics in a vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. Who'd you share with it with first? With hands on their head. And, uh, you know, I just put it on my, I put it on my Facebook page who I had 30 friends on at the time. Right. All who I knew personally. Uh-huh. Right. So it wasn't like, uh, I'm saying it out to the world again, this is back in 2014. Yeah. Um, and it felt like I knew everyone that was on my Facebook page. And then, uh, that's when things totally blew up for me. Wow. Were and you so surprised how much it resonated? Realize, oh, absolutely. But what I didn't realize was other people, would look at that image and attach their own experiences to it. Right. I didn't think that was going to happen. I just, I didn't think anyone, I didn't think nobody, I didn't think anyone had, had that experience. I thought I was the only one that I thought I was broken. I thought that, you know, I'm, I'm not as good as everybody else because these feelings are happening. I didn't want to share that with anybody. No one wants to share if they feel that they're, you know, broken, that they don't want to, or not, not as good as everybody else. They don't want to share that. Right. But what I was surprised to hear that so many other people connected to it, which made me feel that, oh, maybe this is more common than I realized. Maybe I'm not broken. Maybe this is just a normal thing that happens mm-hmm. after seeing so many crazy things and experiencing so many crazy experiences that this is a, a normal thing that happens in my brain. Right. It's not unusual. And that made me feel great. Right? And that, that really kind of, that picture really changed my life because now I'm, Traveling the world, speaking on podcasts like yours, and really sharing my story to others, which is really rewarding and healing for me personally. Yeah, I can. You know, the thing that I've I've thought about looking at your artwork was like you like you mentioned, people are going to attach their own stories to these images because they're so, I guess, just powerful, um, and they they do such a good job of pulling people who've been in those situations back to their own version of those scenes. And I remember looking at, um, that you have one of, uh, I can't remember if it's a firefighter or if it's a, uh, paramedic that's basically just sitting on the back bumper of an ambulance and the, the whole ambulance is like obliterated, like, you know, and we've all had those, um, those calls where you yard sale the back of an ambulance because you're literally using yeah. so many medications and um, different procedures to try and do whatever you can to stabilize them for the 15 minutes that you have them. Um, and the people, 
I'm, I, I guess I'm curious, what has been the reception of people who, have you ever gotten any infra, uh, feedback back from people who maybe aren't in the medical field who look at these? Because I can imagine people like that going, oh my gosh, this is, this is really heavy. I, I don't feel comfortable looking yeah. at this stuff. Um, <clears throat> but I'm curious yeah, if you've I, heard anything. Uh, yeah, I have. So I do, um, I recently had an exhibit, it was a public exhibit, and open to the general public and they would look through it and they would they, they the most common comment would be that I, that they had no idea wow. that these are the things that, that some of us experience, mm -hmm. that they really didn't know. And I'm not a person that thinks, well, people should know. I'm like, no, people don't need to know the horrible things that we experience and the things that we see. I don't, me personally, I don't think that's something that, other people really need to know. They need to know when they call 911, we show up when we help them. Right. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think that's all they need to know, right? Um, so when they come, they look at it, and then yeah, I, I guess it's good in a way that they understand, you know, the stresses and the things that can happen to us potentially. Mm -hmm. I guess that, that's a positive. But, yeah, they some of them were quite um, – it's really powerful to do that. The exhibit that I have, it's a large format exhibit, so the pieces are – like 12 feet wide and oh, wow. eight feet tall. Holy like they're life size. So you stand in front of it and you're, you're in it. Yeah. And it's, um, it's quite emotional to, to go through that. But it's, yeah, everyone, when people look at the images, they, I guess like any other type of artwork, they interpret it in their own way. Mm -hmm. And one image could mean something completely different for somebody else, even if you're not a first responder. If you have, you know, family member that has been involved in emergency services right. in some way, or they've had to contact them, then they um, they look at it and they reference that memory, I guess. Mm -hmm. So it's less... I had this conversation with my psychologist because I was really worried that I was going to trigger some people right. with the R work. Because Cause when, I, trauma when or something. I create it, I, right? mm -hmm. uh, I have to be authentic. I have to be... In order for it to be a healing process for me, I can't censor it. I can't... Right. Okay, well, I don't want to freak people out. I don't want to, like, it has to be real in order for me to have that recovery from it. Mm -hmm. uh, and some people, when I do, I lecture, I do a presentation on the artwork and post-traumatic growth. Yeah. And uh, I start with a disclaimer that, you know, some of the pictures I'm going to show, you know, although they're not real, they're all um, edited. They're not, like, it's not an actual scene. Mm -hmm. But I don't edit them, uh, and based on your own experiences, they may trigger you. And if you do, you may feel free to stand up and leave. And most of the time on my presentations, that, that does happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I talked to my psychologist about it. I'm like, I don't want to trigger people. And he goes, Dan, it's less about the artwork and more about their own experiences. Mm -hmm. um, if anything, the artwork is is making them process the feelings that are already there. Uh, so he recommended that I that it's a useful thing and that I keep doing it and that it's helpful. Um, and usually when I you know when I do speak at conferences, I recommend you know that there are some mental health support people there that you know that if they see people leave, they can follow them and give them the support that they need. But um, uh, I can't remember when this conversation even started. started going on a rant. Yeah. I don't know, uh, no, it's easy to do, and, and yeah. we have, uh, we all, all three of us um, have our own uh, stories with PTSD and, and different uh, traumatic things we've seen um, in the careers we've had in 
uh, fire, EMS, healthcare in general. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, the, the, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, I'm glad you brought it up, was your plans with this um, graduate degree in psychology that I'd read you had been working towards. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing you're done with that now. Is that correct? No, I've no, you're still I've working. Only about a quarter of the way in. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. what are your? Um, yeah. I'm curious to. I would love to know what your, I guess, your 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 journey to getting to that spot where you decided, huh, this could be something that I'm interested in. Because I, I mean, I'll, I'll share mine after you're done. Because I'm in, a, I'm in a similar place. But um, we'd love to hear what kind of tripped that for you. That flipped that switch. That um, sure. You know, turned you on to it. Yeah. Well, I I was leaving the, the the fire department. I worked at a fire-based service. I really wasn't my choice. So I had PTSD, developed PTSD in 2014. And then new symptoms started coming up uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago that really affected my memory. And I wasn't to the point where, where I wasn't able to remember protocols. I wasn't able to remember you know, drug dosages, so it started to affect my job. So I took myself off, and I'm like, hey, I need to get fixed. Mm-hmm. And then through that process, the psychologist said, no, you're done. You're not going back on the ambulance. I'm like, great, what am I going to do now? Right. So they fixed, they had a whole team of, of people that helped me um, kind of get back on track with my mental health, which was great. And then I kind of had to decide what am I going to do next? And through the dance and work that I was doing um, and just by sharing my own story of post-traumatic growth with everybody of, of getting, um, having PTSD and suffering the symptoms of that, but recovering and actually becoming something bigger uh, and better than I was before my trauma through the process of recovery was something that I was sharing and it was really rewarding for me. So I wanted to do something that was still, helping people uh, and this way specifically uh, my fellow emergency workers and I thought this is a this is a good career path for me uh, it's something I'm as passionate about as I was when I first started learning to become a, an advanced yeah. care paramedic mm-hmm. like I, I, I'm reading over and above the textbook work that I have to do I'm doing right. extra reading because I'm just so interested in it mm-hmm. uh, and of course as i'm reading stuff i'm analyzing myself i'm like oh this is what's happening to me. oh okay that makes total sense mm-hmm. oh this is why this is what happened to me when i was a kid and this is why i was potentially predisposed to this and so i find it really really interesting and i do think because of the experiences that i have and i love to hear that other emergency workers are going into similar fields where they can they can pair the education that they're receiving but probably more importantly the lived experiences that they have Uh, to translate that into people that are needing help from someone that's been there that is now educated on how best to, to help them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's something that really resonates with me. So I'm really, I'm really excited about it. So that's kind of how I, how I switched over. It was just something that felt, felt right for me to do. Yeah. You know, I, um, you know, and I shared my whole PTSD journey, um, in one of our earliest episodes, but the, um, the thing that it kind of triggered me was it was it was such a weird experience because here I am going to therapy, <clears throat> just wanting to get better because <clears throat> the, the the symptoms were so intrusive, um, and they weren't mm-hmm. something that I could control, which was very scary. Um, and then feeling like 
um, I almost felt fraudulent going back to work um, in a lot of ways. Like I, I had all these, you know, emotional, mental, physical symptoms going on. And I'm also fighting these like internal battles of, is this, is this normal? Should I be stronger than this? Like, why, why is this thing so, it, it was so all over the place. Um, and so I'm asking myself all these questions and I'm going to therapy trying to work through them all. And I remember um, my therapist, Tim, telling me that uh, he was going to work through um, a couple of treatment modalities with me that he thought I'd benefit from. And so um, he put me through EMDR and um, it was, it was absolutely life-changing to the point where um, I remember it was the third or fourth session um, that we had done. And I, I, <laughs> I remember walking, he, he actually, um, he hosts um, firefighters and police officers at his, his house. He has a home office attached to his home. And um, I remember walking out of his um, out of his home into the driveway to get in my car, and it felt like it felt like I'd instantly lost about twenty five pounds. I, everything just felt lighter. Like I remember feeling like this. Uh, you know, they always say like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. It truly felt like my head was lighter. It felt like there was nothing pushing me down, mm-hmm. and I hadn't realized how tense I was. Um, for so long and that was feeling that amount of relief was really the first um i guess moment that i had where i was like okay this is really interesting stuff i might be i might be, i might want to do something in this field i don't know what but you know and it kind of started the mm-hmm. the thought process in my head and then you know it is kind of strange being in the room with dan and holly because you guys uh have been such an encouragement in um, pursuing, you know, a, a master's degree in clinical mental health, which is what I'm currently doing, Daniel. Um, and, um, it's been, uh, it's been awesome to work through (laughs) so much stuff that we have from, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the baggage from the calls we go on to really, right. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like, sometimes I feel like when I go to school, it's my own therapy. It is. Okay. Well, this is when we do our online classes. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh wow, this is, even though it's not specific, the program line isn't specific to emergency workers or even trauma. Yeah. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, I feel like I'm, I have, it's, it's like therapy class when I, when we do our online session, one of the class times, yeah. which is great. And you know, you brought up um, a lot of self analyzing. Yes. Mm-hmm. A ton of self analyzing and a lot of self reflecting. And um, mm-hmm. I know that uh, one of the things that intrigued me the most about, um, grad school so far has been attachment disorders because you brought up, um, you know, early, early childhood issues. And one of the most powerful moments I've had in class, we're, we're sitting, um, listening to this, uh, lecture, um, our, one of our professors give a class and she, she made some comment. We were listening, we were doing a case study, case review, and we're talking about this, um, this lady's issues. And she was in like her fifties, I think. Um, and I don't remember exactly what um, all the details around her case were, but um, our uh, department director had continued to go over her childhood, and she just kept hammering on, you know, the first few years of her life and what she was experiencing. And there was a there was a, uh, a fellow student who raised her hand and was like, "Okay, 
but she's an adult now. Can't we like, can we get over the, some of the kid stuff? Like, can we move on? And, and, um, I'll never forget the way that my, my teacher almost, almost snapped at her a little bit, but it was a very quick, like return of, uh, to, of a response. And she said, 80% of the brain development happens in the first five years of life. You need to continue. You yeah. need to consider uh, spending just as like 80% of your first few sessions with them going over childhood because it can be so detrimental and so helpful to us as clinicians to understand what they're actually going through and why mm-hmm. they develop these patterns. And it was fascinating uh, thinking about that because we want to just write it off like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Grow up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like yeah. well, maybe they can't. Yeah, I really appreciate. Interesting, a few. Oh, I was just gonna say, I really appreciate when you were speaking about um, when you first went in thinking you were alone or you were the only one feeling this way, and you look around your coworkers and they all seem fine. And um, Steve, you had said that same exact thing. Hmm. And by doing your art and putting it out there, being brave enough to put it out there for at least your close friends to see. It really brings so much light to the fact that we're all secretly suffering, but nobody wants to say it. Um, I know that it's getting better in EMS. I think as mm-hmm. paramedic schools mm-hmm. are changing and mental health is becoming more of a focus, um, I hope that the the new kids coming out of school and um, coming up in EMS will have it differently than we did. But nothing was spoken about at all about our own mental health and nothing was really talked about taking care of people with mental health issues. No. no. And so I just really commend you for putting your artwork out there to start this conversation because I know that for all of us, it's, it's been hard to at least tell one person and then suddenly you find out, Oh, there's actually like a handful of people I know that are suffering too Mm -hmm. and uh, seeking out mental health. And thank you. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. That that I gen- and I, you know, I do genuinely appreciate that when I hear my peers say that because, you know, the artwork is very personal. And sometimes I'll create something. I'm like, there's no way people are going to understand this. I there's no possible way that other people are feeling this way. And those are the ones that seem to really hit with people because they're feeling the same way. And then they see this image that accurately portrays this complex idea of what they're feeling, which is so personal to them. And then it's shoved in their face on their phone if they're scrolling through. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's quite, sh- it's quite shocking. So it's for me, when I hear you know, fellow emergency workers say what my artwork means to them, or when they get it tattooed on their body, which happens all the time, which just blows my mind. Wow. That's cool. um, that Jeez. is that, that really, um, that really solidifies that I'm not alone and it really validates what I'm doing. Right. And for me, that that's a, I think for a lot of us, that's suffering from, you know, trauma, you know, the validation part and and understanding is, is a big deal. So that's what I get when I hear my peers mm-hmm. comment positively on my, on my artwork. And, and uh, sometimes I do this, it happens as well when it's not so positive, because then I understand that, you know, the artwork has kind of forced them to kind of see stuff. Yeah. Right. And um, for people and like again, you and Steve to go into the field of helping people on the other side of this with lived experience is it's amazing. I I would love to go to a provider that has EMS experience that actually when I say 
here's my story. Yeah, they, they feel it relate. too. They can relate. So. Yeah. And I, even in our class, we were talking, I thought I think it was about on attachment. We're discussing attachment and um, with addictions, which I found really interesting mm-hmm. with addictions and substance abuse uh, at earlier ages of how much more prevalent it is in people that have had, you know, attachment issues younger, I think within first seven years of their life. Right. How more um, prevalent it is for them to develop addiction problems. And also for them to uh, seek out professions where they're caring for other people, right? which is, wow, that's like ding, 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 ding. That's yeah, a lot no of us. Kidding. Um, so yeah, it's really, uh, when I was talking to my professor about that and we were discussing uh, something about a first responder and, and they were talking about, you know, you should, you know, you should, it's time to leave. You should just quit. I'm like, yeah, if you tell that to most of us, we're just going to snap at you. Yeah, because right? that's that's our identity. Like if we start talking about identity, uh, and and how you know we, well, literally, some of us would rather stay in that profession until we die by suicide instead of leave and become basket weavers. Like that, right. that's what happens because yeah. we just can't imagine. We can't imagine leaving a profession that even though it's killing us because right. that's we're attached to it so much of, of that being our. Um, our identity. Uh, it's really interesting pathology, really, I think. And maybe even being kind of addicted to that stress cycle of, yeah. you know, that dopamine hit you get, the norepi and epi that comes down when you get that call. Even if you don't feel it anymore, we're still getting that rush of um, adrenaline. And I think some of us yeah. feel addicted to that. So then if you have a normal job, it feels boring and you couldn't stand just sitting there with your thoughts. <laughs> Right. Sitting at a desk all day long. Yeah, it's, right. Yeah, and I thought, who? I don't know many emergency workers that would be able to transition to that type of work. But to have somebody, to have a therapist that that understands that, and that can broach the topic of, you know, maybe a career change in a in a more informed way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, and that's something we don't really. Well, I haven't learned in school yet, specifically for emergency workers, and I don't think we would. Right. Uh, but that, that's something I just know. I just know that through lived experience and I know that's what we're like. And that and for my future clients, you know, if that's going to be something that we, that has to come, that has to happen, then I'm going to be very careful in broaching that subject and navigating that with them. Oh, 100%. Because I know how sensitive of an issue that's going to be, right? Versus someone that maybe isn't. They're like, well, why don't you just quit? Why don't you just leave? Why? Right. I don't understand. Why are you staying in this position that, you know, is causing you so much trauma and so much damage? Why? Why don't you just find another job? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, because this is who I. It's like you're telling me to find be another person. I can't be another person. That's who I am. Yeah. So yeah, it's very uh, it's very complex, but very. I think having lived experience is is very 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 valuable for mm-hmm. for and anyone that's seeking therapy, I would highly recommend. And luckily, there's a lot of a lot more people, a lot more people out there that are. Um, getting into that profession so there's more and more options out there mm-hmm. but if you can find somebody that has a past experience in, in emergency mm-hmm. services any emergency service i think that would be a huge benefit to uh to your recovery i think my Absolutely. opinion and simply leaving your profession isn't going to help right. it's just going to manifest in other ways if you don't deal with what exactly it is that mm-hmm. is causing you to be triggered or causing this uh, ptsd response and then yeah. those of us that are in the business 
and have found ways like through the resiliency training or through EMDR, you like, you want to shout it from the rooftops, right. you know, you like something that works. Oh my yep. gosh, this is, this is amazing. And so then you get this other passion of trying to educate your coworkers and other providers on yeah. what's happening to us. And I, you know, I, I don't want to get the, like, I don't want to, um, like for other therapists, I don't have experience, have lived experience. There's also a lot of therapists that specialize in, emergency services workers, right? So they, you know, they've seen thousands of, so they, so they know. So if you can't find someone that's actually worked it, then find someone that's culturally, um, that has experience with, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, So, you know, getting, talking back about the EMDR. Yeah. uh, And I'm a huge, like I've heard that so many times Mm -hmm. of people that I, it's it's literally saved their lives. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, and people who, who advocate for EMDR hate when I say this, (laughs) <laughs> um, don't get me wrong. I am an advocate for. I am. I am a huge supporter of whatever works for you, and that mm-hmm. includes EMDR. My therapist, when I was going through my treatment, would not do EMDR on me because mm-hmm. they said it wasn't best practice. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I know hundreds of people because you 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 are somewhat re-traumatized, or you have to relive that experience. Yeah. But they said that it wasn't best practice, and that, uh, Steve, that could be a whole other podcast of what best totally. practice means. Uh, you know, and research based, and there's a lot of controversy even over that. But um, yeah, so I, they didn't, because I thought for sure I was going to get it. I thought mm-hmm. for sure I was going to be in the EMDR. And uh, the place that I went to is like, yeah, we, we can't do it because we don't, um, it's not best practice. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's really surprising. Yeah, you know, um, I, I took so a, I didn't even um, have that option. I took a, uh, it was actually a, an EMDR class for paraprofessionals where they teach you the first three steps of the EMDR process that you can help lead groups through. So it's not individual counseling as much as it's helping people work through some of the first initial stages with um, basically just doing some exercises to help the brain process the traumatic things that have just been seen or um, experiences that have just been had. And we talked a lot about um, why EMDR works and why some people have found that it's really not for them. Um, and we had this therapist who's been doing EMDR for probably 20 years. And she mentioned that, um, there's, there's population groups that they're just starting to show, um, information on that you shouldn't do EMDR. And one of them is, is veterans. If you can't do, um, and there was, there was some triggers in there for why you would or wouldn't do that. But if you have like a veteran who is, um, in EMS, and you're trying to work through some stuff that they've seen on a call, but you haven't gone back to the core mm. issues that mm-hmm. were caused by their time in infantry or whatever else they were doing, um, you're basically just going to be bringing stuff to the surface and not fully processing it. And then they can feel almost more on edge because mm-hmm. it hasn't been appropriately processed. And so it was really interesting to hear their take on why some therapists don't support it or have moved away from doing it and it came back to a lot of it finding that um, the counselors who were doing it incorrectly were too quickly approaching the surface level trauma and they weren't getting Mm -hmm. to know their client well enough to understand that stuff that happened when they were a kid that perpetuated that was basically perpetuated when they went on that call and saw whatever they saw 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I yeah. agree. It's it's not for everybody. Yeah. It's it's absolutely something that needs to be uh, teased out in therapy to see if it's actually a a good option. I mean, right? Yeah, I totally agree. It has to be something specific if it's to the client to your client, right? If that's going to be something useful for them versus blanket statement of no, it's not. It's not uh, supported, or it's not um, uh, best practice, or it's not. But you know, it might be for me, right? You know, but maybe like so. Let's get into it to see and analyze it. Mm-hmm. And another part is, you know, there's a it's there's a lot of difference between a veteran uh, who maybe isn't going, who didn't go back into emergency services, or isn't being re-traumatized, mm-hmm. uh, versus you know, a paramedic who has PTSD who's still working, mm-hmm. and you're trying to. You know, as you're trying to recover, uh, treat trauma, they're experiencing more trauma at right. the same time uh, with because they're going to work every day. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Do you, um, what do you guys know about the uh, ACE scores? Yeah. I don't know very much about it. I yeah, probably shouldn't even brought it up, but I know very little about it. The ACE it's study a, was a direct precursor yeah. to mm-hmm. suicide, obesity. Yeah. So could you review that for me? Problems. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, the, there's a big study they call the ACEs study. And it's Ed. ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And yeah. people originally thought an adverse childhood experience was something that was major, right? Like you had to witness someone being murdered or you had to be molested or raped or, or something like that. But they've actually found the more they've researched it that an adverse childhood experience can even be something as small as being in a house where someone yelled a lot, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And um, the the... The trauma we experience is so subjective and there's, there's some things, right? Like it would be traumatic for anyone to watch someone be murdered, right? right? We can all agree on that. Um, But the way that our bodies respond and bounce back from that is going to depend on the number of other ACEs we've been exposed to as well as um, our own lived experiences. And so um, I believe when they and I could get the actual number incorrect, but when they pulled people in prison, like the average, I think the average person has somewhere around two aces um, when they're growing up. Yeah. But like the prison population tends to have closer to like seven, and so it's and how what's your, what's your top score? I don't think there is a top score. Oh really? I mean, I think it's as many as you've been <laughs> exposed to. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, you know I don't know too much about it, but I, I believe it's a fairly simple questionnaire Mm -hmm. and at the end you have you have a number right if you and they are if your number is below this then you are less um likely to develop severe effects of trauma Mm -hmm. if you have a number above this amount then which is really significant now when we think about people coming into the profession or where that potentially they could do an ace score um, before and God, I hope they wouldn't use that as a <laughs> determining factor whether I get yeah, higher or not. But I can right. see I can see organizations doing it, <clears> but throat> I can totally see organizations doing pre testing, mm-hmm. uh, which you know may not be so bad. I don't know. It's kind of a another that's a weird, that's a touchy, potentially controversial subject right there. But uh, I what I and again I don't know very much about it. But um, with the A score, basically you get a number after answering these few questions. Yeah. And based on your number, it's and it's scary how predictive and accurate it is. Mm. Uh, I believe that there's um, there's a study done uh, where they surveyed a bunch of firefighters, I believe it was in California, mm-hmm. and they did their ACE score on them, just randomly, and they found that a lot of people in emergency services have high ACE scores. So even if 
through based on your childhood experiences, you're if you have, then you're more likely to seek a profession like firefighting or, or law enforcement, which ironically puts them in a in a susceptible position to experience more more trauma. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a like a messed up. Someone made a mistake there, but um, well, I, it's very interesting. It is interesting because you think if you think about like all the people you've worked with over the years, we're kind of a special special breed of person mm-hmm. um, that we're all sort of drawn yeah, to this. Sure, yeah. Um, environment and it does kind of make sense if, if we're all sort of predisposed to do something in this arena um, why we all get along so well yeah I'm looking but at it's, the... al- it's also why we're so good at it right I think it's why we're so good at it as well so it's not all I think it's because of those adverse childhood experiences that's what makes us great emergency workers in those emergency situations mm-hmm. at the same time how is that at uh, your department or your old department, uh, the attitude towards people who have experienced traumatic uh, experiences? Um, I know early on it was just kind of, you know, we look at you and, oh, don't say anything to him. He's he's crazy. He's, you know, he had that call. You know, we had that in our department. Now it's like we've got, I think, eight people out on PTSD, mm-hmm. the department of about yeah. 400. Well- I'm lucky that I get to travel around the world and speak with thousands of our peers. And I speak with many chiefs and many senior leadership. And I've never spoken to senior leadership or chief that said that mental health, mental health was not a priority for them. Nice. They all say it's a priority. They all right. do. However, <laughs> however, uh, yeah. I also speak to the frontline workers mm-hmm. and I say, Hey, you know, I spoke with the chief and senior management here and, and leadership and they, they, they're telling me that mental health is a priority for them. Good. And rarely is that, rarely is that translated to the frontline workers. Gotcha. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. I know that uh, one of the things that we've so experienced that, with our own department is it's something that the department wants to put out to the public. Like, Hey, you yeah. know, we care about uh, mental health and we care about our, our people and we're supporting them in this way. Um, and then when it comes down to it, as the person who's literally in charge of the budget for that section of our department, I can promise you that a lot of stuff gets put in place of, you know, actually right. Right. Uh, when it comes you... time to, yeah. to put things in play. And the, I agree. I think that there's – oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, the, uh, I was just going to define people. I'm looking at the CDC website, um, the ACEs study, that, um, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Oh, yeah. but. The adverse childhood experiences are potentially traumatic events that occur in childhood. Uh, ACEs can include violence, abuse, and growing up in a family with mental health or substance use problems. Toxic stress from ACEs can change brain development and affect how the body responds to stress. ACEs are linked to chronic health problems, mental illness, and substance misuse in adulthood. However, ACEs can be prevented. 61% of adults polled had at least one ACE and 16% had four or more types of ACEs. Females in several racial and ethnic minority groups were at greater risk for experiencing four or more ACEs, and many people do not realize that exposure to ACEs is associated with increased risk for health problems across the lifespan. Uh, So then they have some pretty crazy data points. Preventing ACEs could reduce a large number of health conditions. Up to 21 million cases of depression, up to 1.9 million cases of heart disease, and up to 2.5 million cases of obesity could basically vanish if we started putting some some more uh, attention into these areas. But 
Um, Absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, it was very. It's a very powerful study um, and test that people can, or certainly people can take. And I think it's really telling based on those. Um, well, just based on the stuff that you're saying. Uh, but getting back to the, uh, if I can, getting back yeah. to the organizations uh, and mental health, I think it's uh, in my experiences one of the reasons is that they many organizations just don't know how to do it. They want to do it. So I don't want to, you know, poo poo on their parade too much. Right. Uh, I will a little bit, but you know, sometimes they just don't know. They don't have the resources. They don't have the, the guidance to, okay, well, how do we support our mental health? We don't know, but Hey, there's a thing that we can do, you know, road to, men, road to mental readiness, like in our 2MR course. So let's do, well, let's do that. Yeah. Let's put that in. We'll do that weekend course. At least we're doing something. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them, they don't know what they're doing. So they don't really have the guidance. Uh, but then the other part is, is that they do know and they just don't care, which is the really sad part. Or they just don't have, it's not a priority. They say it's a priority because politically that's the correct thing to say. Right, correct. However, you know, they're, we don't, we don't have enough room. We have too many other things to do. We have too much stuff on our plate to, uh, uh, to deal with that. Uh, and I just don't have time. It's, it's, it's I think that it's one thing. Have to happen. It, it does have to happen. And, and, and I think that the problem is if I'm thinking from, some of the maybe dinosaur uh, management types type of shoes is, you know, I don't want to pour time and energy and money into that, um, into that topic because it's really going to affect the way that we move forward having to do so many different, um, I guess, different things to address the issue because it's not a small, um, it's not a small task. And, you know, you start to unpack something that's just hasn't been addressed for years mm-hmm. and you're going to be, you know, dealing with everything that you, you get. Um, and uh, the truth is they're already dealing with it, right? They're right. already dealing with it in the, in the form of retention and sick time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's so many different indicators that are affecting their bottom line uh, that it would be better off for them if they put that attention in than so many other sectors of the, of their ledger would, would improve sexual harassment will go down. You know, there's so many studies that, that show the benefits of, uh, of doing that. It's just making that happen. And, and I think unfortunately what's going to have to happen is the government's going to have to step in yeah. and say, Hey, look, uh, you know, Bob, the firefighter died of suicide uh, in your department. We're going to come investigate your department. And if we determine that it's because of a psychological unhealthy work environment, you are going to be liable as a, for a workplace fatality. Yeah. Your government, maybe not ours. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't think that that's not happening anywhere. That's not happening anywhere yeah. yet. But I think, I think that is what's eventually. I think there's there's a little bit of stuff happening in Australia that's kind of leaning toward that, and maybe even in uh, the United Kingdom with their um, dedication to mental health commitment mm-hmm. letter that they did uh, last year. But um, so I think that's going to be coming down the pipe, and unfortunately, I think that's what's going to have to happen. Uh, yeah, and it takes uh, most a, of our passions yeah. come from personal experiences. And it, this is a passion of a lot of, I think, people that have been in the career for a long time that or maybe have one foot out the door and have, have taken notice that this is a huge problem among everybody, including the younger people coming up. And the people yeah. that are making the rules are in a different space in their life. Maybe they're disconnected. Maybe they don't see the importance of it. They're not living it every day. And that's when it sits on someone's desk. Right. 
So it's good yeah, for... Yeah, it needs to take... It needs a paradigm shift. It's really a big paradigm shift needs to happen. And mm-hmm. those don't happen overnight. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So Daniel, as we kind of start to wrap up our show, can you give uh, our listeners some ways that they can find you, um, find more about your art, find out more about what you're doing and where you're speaking? I'm going to be in um, Minnesota in a couple of weeks. I'll be speaking at an event there at uh, the Department of Corrections, which is great because I don't mm-hmm. think uh, corrections officers get enough uh, attention that they deserve. Totally. And uh, then I'm going to be in Halifax. So I'll have a, a mini exhibit in Halifax, and I'll be the keynote speaker at an event there uh, the week later. And then, yeah, I'll be at uh, EMS World in New Orleans this year, and then I'll be in um, North Carolina and Michigan later this year. On my website, uh, I list all the places that I'm going to be. And awesome. what's that website thing, for everybody uh, listening? Uh, in Canada. Uh, it's uh, dansonphotos.com. So D-A-N-S-U-N photos.com. Perfect. And then on the top of no events, and I have all the, all the places I'm going to be. And awesome. I love doing that because then I get to be face-to-face with my, with my peers and talk to them about this kind of stuff, which, God, I could talk about this stuff all day. I know. I feel you. I've been within an hour. Well, when you say, yeah. when people say a, a picture says a thousand words, oh. it's very true, especially in the case of your art. Mm-hmm. It, it speaks to people in a way that I don't think words can speak to people. Yeah. So thank you for putting that out there. Holly, was it Dallas? Yeah, and again, I, I generally appreciate it. Was it Dallas that you and I were in when Scott did this? Mm-hmm. And had his stuff at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! I yeah, was we not did ready a, for that. We did a three day long like organizational resiliency class, and you get real vulnerable there in the class. It's full of police, EMS, um, and firefighters. And at the end, they did play this montage of some of your painting or some of your artwork, and. Oh, yeah, there was really not really cool. a dry eye oh, in the room. I was not ready for that at I all. I wasn't ready for it either. <laughs> um, it it was it basically summed up why we were there for three days. Yeah. Um, because this is what we all experience and go through silently most of the time. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, some of those things I don't. People put those together, so some of those aren't the ones that I that I actually put together. But I think it's also, which is great, like that's uh, fantastic that that happened, and I hope it helps in some way. But I think it's also important. I like the the term uh, being tragically optimistic. It's great, I think, to to acknowledge you know the tragedies in our life and to process to to look at them and to process them to recover from them. Uh, but I think the important part is to is the recovery part. So I, I don't earlier on when I started going to a lot of mental health conferences, those people go up there and like, yeah, I'm a firefighter. I developed PTSD. I tried to kill myself. My life sucks. Thanks for listening. Right. And by the end of the day, you're like, Oh my God, yeah. I feel like shit. Right. It's, it's so sad. Right. Versus, okay, well now what are you going to do? But like, like it's important to acknowledge that, which is great. But I think like the real takeaway is okay. Well, great. Now we've acknowledged it. Now what can we do to get better? Right. I think that's, that's an important point to include when we talk about the realities of what we do and we process the stuff, but okay, well, what's, what's, you know, for me, it's artwork. Uh, but for other people, it could be wood carving, it could be hunting, it could be, you know, what what are you gonna do to interrupt that HPA access and and prune those pathways and develop new neural pathways to to recover and become, you know, better than you were before to enter that stage of post traumatic growth where you've not only recovered, you're not only resilient, you've actually become better because of the new pathways that you've developed, and that's really exciting. It is. Right? So I think it's important to to acknowledge 
being tragically optimistic, but also to get into the, here, well, here's what can happen if you do the work. Well, Daniel. Yeah, no, that's great. I appreciate you guys having me on your show. Yeah, great. no, thank you so much for, um, again, what Holly was saying, for doing the work you do and for um, keeping the conversation going and for helping to reduce the stigma with, with mental health. It's, um, I think it's paying dividends and um, your artwork is saving lives. So thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you. I really appreciate that, generally.